Good morning. My name is Randy Meyer, and I'm the youth director here at Christ Central, and I'm going to be reading our scripture. So it's from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38. And children, you're dismissed. Be free. Go to Children's Church. So if, so if you turn your bulletin, um, you can follow along with me because it's quite a passage. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her son, who is 
with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And you have to excuse me. I have a little stuff in my head too. And i um, trying to get over whatever foreign agent is in me. Um, whatever virus. Not, it's like a cold or something. And I don't usually get sick, so I turn into a little kid. I, I hate being sick. Um, not that anybody likes to. But, um, also wanted to mention uh, before we get into this that um, it's just so hard to go from what I'm about to say to what I'm about to say. Um, that... Amari and Sharice Hill, who used to be here, Sharice's mom passed away last week um, after struggling with um, kidney failure, all, all sorts of things. So Kelly and I, my family, will be going up to New York this coming weekend to be with them. Um, so just so you know, that that's what was going on, will be going on next weekend with us. And we'll have Tyler Dirks, who's the RUF campus minister at Johnson & Wales preaching for us next week. And so that's going to be good, some good stuff, um, having him come. Well, it's Christmas time, as you know. You go to the store, it's that music play, right? It's those, those sounds. It's green, it's red, it's crazy. It's that time on TV, too, right? And Rudolph... Santa, Frosty, and even, of course, the namesake of the holiday itself, Jesus Christ. If you didn't know, Christmas is Christmas. Are the shining icons of a surreal Christmas. They all come with larger and brighter than real life ideals. Stuff that you and I typically suspend belief in all year long and then just this month you allow yourself to be taken away by and in the Christmas spirit to get a bite and feeling of things that escape us, peace and joy and generosity and goodwill, to get a taste, to, to go to a place where misfits and mistakes have a chance at being the hero of being loved by all, of being redeemed and contributing and belonging and important and changing and saving the world all in claymation. Frosty, Rudolph, Santa, and our own Jesus just seem too good to be true. Frosty, a snowman that comes to life because of the innocent belief and magic of, of little children. Rudolph, a, a reindeer, gets the lead spot in Santa's sleigh of reindeers because his nose glows red. Let's call it what it is. A birth defect is used to save and redeem Christmas for the whole world. And Santa Claus, an overweight lover of kids who cares enough to be the parent of all the world, providing for it like this loving father who cares to remember you and even watch your every move all year long to know to give you gifts, give you toys or switches, gifts or corrections of grace and love that say, I see you and I know you. I've been your father all year long and I'm going to deliver on this one day. 
And now before us, as we've read today, the story of the birth and coming of Jesus Christ, who shares some basic storyline DNA with his iconic Christmas cast members. Like Rudolph, he is a birth anomaly, and this birth irregularity born of a virgin gives him moral clearance to lead humankind out of darkness. Like Frosty, he is an incarnation. He is the intangible character and nature of God come alive in the flesh. And like Santa, he is called a gift to the world from a father who has not forgotten our daily lives and our existence. Jesus Christ, like the others, are not just for kids, but also a too-good-to-be truth for grown boys and girls. His, his birth and coming addresses what we want and believe and feel to be true, especially this time of year. What we need to be true, which is this? That there is redemption. That there is a constant and true comfort, change, and transformation in this world that gives us a reason to live. You and I live for the redemption illustrated in those TV shows and stories and and their characters because deep down we believe redemption does exist. If you look at the characters in our scripture passage we read, they are all living and working for something, for change, for betterment, for survival. And we can start with Herod, who is mentioned here, that he believes in redemption in his own way, that that somehow by his rule, things will work to an end for the better, even if it's better in his own mind. That Zechariah is a priest and his wife are good, blameless, and obedient to the law of God, and, and though failing to conceive a child after many years, still desire to have children. And then Joseph and Mary engaged to be married, all working and living and trying and pressing ahead and driven for what they do. Like us, these people in our story believe in a redemption. They believe or or want to believe in something. You know, that thing that that gets us up in the morning, the the hope of something, the drive for something out of our lives. It's why you're involved in what you do. It's it's why you quit one job to start another. It's to try to eat and live better and work out because good or bad motives or results, you have a reason to live. But more than that, that there is, without a moral barometer, actually an end to living this life. That's, That's scrapped scraped and etched out result or or hope of result from who you are and what you do. Even if it is just to make the world the way you think it should be or have it give you pleasure or more security or, or to have you at the top of the food chain or to make money or to just live the American dream or to be greater than or, or to make the next generation great, to invest in children or the less fortunate. Or more, maybe you prove you believe in redemption because you, you, you're about making things clean, making things more efficient and environmentally friendly in this world or, or to balance economics or, or make the world more beautiful with art. Some of us agree and, 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 and nod to the fact that we believe in redemption, just getting up every day to find redemption and being numb, getting high, or drunk, or amused, 
to apathy or ignorance, finding comfort, even for a minute or an hour or so, even in that, you are looking to and ironically hoping in something greater than what your life can give. Here's the thing. We need that redemption to exist. We need it to be true that we could do something to cash comfort, peace, pleasure, forgiveness, worth, being known, and love out of this world. It's how we have been created. Scripture teaches us that we are made in the image of God, and we see this in each person in this narrative, whether it's to rule like Herod or stand for and live by the laws or to procreate or have relationships. All of these things are a God-given drive. A God-given work for you to be to find purpose in life. It's, it's God-given dignity, and it keeps the human race racing to an end, even if blindly or on cruise control, it can't be erased from our created humanity. And the characters and shows and songs of the Christmas season tease and tantalize our belief and need for more, for hope. Sometimes at Christmas, some of you really think you're going to do better. It helps you believe you're an okay person. You believe redemption exists this time of year more than ever. You actually take more money, some of you, than you have, and buy a gift for someone. You're sort of investing, like like paying for it as if this person getting the gift is going to make life better for them. Or, Or you're giving this gift is you participating in making someone else happy. People go around saying, Merry Christmas. And they get giddy over movies like Frosty and Santa, dressing in red pants. If I had some, I would dress in it. I would do it right up here, too. But the bad news is that there is a rude awakening and hangover to the redemption we see in the stories of Christmas. What we soon learn is that they are too good to be finally and contently achieved and true to and by us because in and of ourselves, we lack the ability to fully and finally redeem our own lives. Because we fail to be good enough to get it. Whether it's a lack of power, strength, or resolve, or more resolve. Look at the situation with Zechariah, verses 5. Look at verse 5 with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. The Bible says here, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. He and his wife are good, blameless, but not good and blameless enough to deserve to be pregnant. Not good enough, I mean, all their lives, not good enough or powerful enough or ingenious enough to make what they need and want to happen. Not only the pregnancy, but to even make the world better. That even though he's a good priest and she's a good pastor's wife, I mean, it says she came from the clan of Aaron, Aaron, the first priest. 
that she, they are still under the rule of the bad guy, Herod. I mean, the story reads that, that under his rule, people are oppressed. The good people, like Zechariah and his wife, doing all the right things still. They can't make evil be good. Look at what happens when redemption is offered and set before the people in this narrative. Even look at this. Look at verse 11 with me. So they've been wanting children all these years. And then verse 11 says this. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife will bear a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for for he will be great before the Lord. We can stop there. And then in the angel's visit to Mary, look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now look at that. Greetings, favored one. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and her, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. <clears throat> now get this. Zechariah, who from what we just read, was a good man. He was doing church work. Look at him. Didn't he, didn't he expect good to be done by him? And the angel appears, and the Bible says he was afraid. And then Mary actually gets his greeting and purpose for her visit, and she's afraid. Why are these people afraid in the light of redemption of offered good? And more strangely, people that we would call good afraid of good angels and a message from God. Why fear? Because they know they aren't good. They know that they have sinned and deserve judgment, that in the light of redemption they see and want and have prayed for, that they are not good enough for it to even play a part in it. And I begin to think, it's like a helicopter shining on you. Like if you were driving your car and all of a sudden a police helicopter was shining on you or, 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 or you got a call from the IRS, You wouldn't think, great, the IRS is calling me. Understand, when an angel came to see you back in Bible days, it was like God's IRS. You know, the IRS, when they call you, they don't come. Typically, you don't think, yes, they're coming to give me more money. No, they're coming to make your life hard. So these guys, God's IRS comes, and it's an angel, and you would think, you begin, you know, when those things happen, you begin to catalog what you may have done. Why? Because we know we all are guilty and at least faulty and even the best of us filthy in some way. <clears throat> I ask people this question, and I think about it sometimes because I always think crazy things, but what if Jesus were to show up? You know, you're just chilling one day at your job, and Jesus would have said, greetings. 
You wouldn't be like, what's up? No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, "Uh uh-oh. Wouldn't you be, "Uh uh-oh? Why why, why are humans "Uh uh-oh when when an angel shows up, right? Why why are we "Uh uh-oh? Like, if Santa Claus showed up, like the real thing, we would all be like, "Uh uh-oh. What did we do wrong? Is he coming to take something from us? Is this a hold-up? Is this a stick-up? What's going on? Because we know deep down that we are not good. That we're sinners, guilty of some sort of thing. And if goodness shows up, if redemption shows up, we're going to be on the bad side of the formula. What is the scripture getting at? That we are too alienated from the moral goodness required to redeem ourselves, much less others and the world around us. Even these good Bible people, they are too filled with wrong motives, too filled with self-centeredness, and even self-hatred to good to and by ourselves, much less to and with someone else. We can't make the world better without some bad getting worse. We can't gain wealth without fighting and giving in to greed. We fail to get pleasure and comfort without destroying and neglecting our bodies and ourselves and others as we do it. We can't seem to give without a benefit to ourselves, whether it's a tax break we're looking for or a good feeling from someone else. We can't seem to generate enough Christmas cheer even to stop this time of year from being one of the highest for break-ins and purse snatchings of jealousy, of depression, and a heightened sense of loneliness. And the irony of it all, we want things to be better, and yet we can't be good enough or powerful enough to do it. There will still be poverty and fear and disappointment. I mean, even Santa Claus is about naughty or nice. Not a little of both. It's or. No one should get a present on earth. We have to qualify or nuance what naughty or nice is. Because if we really were about naughty or nice, Santa would have to stay home on the 24th. My parents used to use that. You're going to get a bag of switches every time I did something wrong. Man, there's some obedient kids around December, ain't it? You're going to get a bag of coal. We all should get a bag of coal. You think you've been good enough to get a free gift? I mean, here's the sad thing about Santa. He isn't even good or powerful enough to overcome your naughtiness for you so that you can get the gifts that could be yours. Here's the point. The results of people working in the world for good can't overcome the evil that resides in our world. We've been unable to stop disasters bad luck, and abuses even in December. But there are simply ruined roads to redemption, dead ends. Like Zechariah having children, uh, his wife having children, there's a dead womb, redemption through childbearing, gone. Like Herod, a, a roadblock to his big plan. We don't have enough. We don't have what it takes to shift the sands, to change the spots on the world. We can't overcome the sins and issues of others of problems others have caused for themselves, we can't find comfort when things are just plain hard. We typically just cover it up. We go to claymation world. 
We, we try to drown what we know we can't change in the holiday season and the splash of lights. We are called by these stories, and most significantly by, by Scripture this Christmas, to look beyond ourselves and to a Redeemer. And in doing so, look for a miracle. Look at what changes the lack of redemption in Zechariah's life. It is a miracle. Look at verse 18, if you will. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was, sent, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It will and did take, it, it took a miracle, a move of God for redemption. But this redemption miracle is an offshoot, a result of the miracle that we see happening in verse 29. Look with me, if you will. This is Mary, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, uh, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me be the first to tell you if you've not heard it before. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is about a miracle. It is about one who is a miracle. A person coming to bring change for the better, giving hope, peace, joy, eventually forever for the whole earth, for all eternity. It is the stuff of comic books and cartoons about flying animals and living snow and a fat delivery man that makes to everyone's house in one night without payment. Jesus, whose name means salvation, is what our redemption, what we want to believe and live for and need so badly requires. A miracle, a too-good-to-be-true-ism. But unlike the creations of some cartoonists, Jesus is a miracle actually manifested, actually truly come to life. Think about what goes on at Christmas. Just same stuff that goes on at Thanksgiving time. Man, Christmas is hard sometimes. We don't have no money. Kids be asking for all kinds of stuff. Christmas is hard when you get together with your family and people act stupid. You might be the stupid acting one. And you look around and you say, how is this ever going to be made right? And I've even said it to myself. It's going to take a miracle for this thing to work. And it's crazy, but God is asking us, if you want redemption... If you want change, if you want peace, you're going to have to take, get a miracle. 
You're actually asking for what Rudolph, Frosty, and Santa Claus are about. This is Christianity. We believe in a claymation world of misfit toys and kids actually liking them. We live in a world where things fly and they shouldn't. We live in a world, and, and what we're saying about, about Christianity is, is we believe a virgin conceived a child. We believe an 80-year-old woman had a baby. We believe when that 80-year-old woman went to, to marry, the baby leapt in her out of worship to the coming Jesus Christ. This is what you believe if you're a Christian. And this is the kind of hope we're going out in the world with. And if we can believe that craziness, if God can come in the flesh, in the womb of a virgin, that any problem you have can be changed and redeemed by that same God. Like a, look, look at verse 35 with me again. The angel answered, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. That the power, what is he saying? The power, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the intangible purposes of God will be touchable and reaching and touching you and me. That not Santa Claus is coming to town, but that God has and is coming to town in the flesh. It's like a work of art, right? That the idea, the kind of unbelievable, the unseen and untouched, the, the colors, the, the creative thought, yes, it's artistry and truth, in the mind of the artist, but not art outside of some sort of existential way until it gets on the canvas or is shaped by stuff. Now the canvas and the creative idea become art manifest, touchable, knowable, feelable, hearable, effectual, changing, and calling people to experience it. Jesus is the Christmas miracle of redemption manifest. Now, the truth of God, the redemption of God and Jesus jumps out of the prototype, out of the ages of promise, out of the invisible created hopes of us all and incarnate, coming into the substance of our lives to infuse it with God, hope, and power, and promise. It is too good for us, but it is Jesus is the manifestation of the ideals for which you and I draw hope. And now, like Mary, we can proclaim what verse 38 says. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May it be to us 
as you've said, Lord. God is calling, convincing the world through the gift of Jesus to let the power and miracle and salvation and life and world-changing mission of Jesus be as it's promised in you. This Christmas season, God's given us a gift, given us a gift of redemption. A miracle. What should our prayer be? Let it be, Lord. Let it be according to your word. Come in my life. Change me. Save me. Change my family. Change things that are broken in me. Sometimes I pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You said you're going to turn. Please come back. Be it to us according to your word. According to that incredible, miracle story of God coming in the flesh. Not too good to be true but true to us for our good.